A warning, this episode contains some explicit language. Previously on this season. You know, we need to get more explosive plays on offense. We had too many four and five yard plays and we got to get some 20 and 30 yard plays. Listen, Al's been through it all. He's been through winning season, championship seasons, losing seasons, disappointing seasons. He knows how to handle adversity. He knows how to handle success. Well, there's something to be said for glory. I don't know if I can speak so much for Homer as so much for someone like Achilles or any of the heroes that followed him. We got lots of beer, vodka, uh, champagne for when we win, lots of subs. You can find anything in New York, even a tailgate party. Yes, on the island of Manhattan. And friends and family. It's great. Colin Richmond is Columbia class of 2015, and from the little Columbia Stadium parking lot, there's a pretty excellent view right into Craft Field, where the Lions are hosting the Wagner College Seahawks from Staten Island. The Lions have lost three games, but this fan has hope in a bottle. Champagne on ice. Feeling pretty optimistic today. We haven't been carrying it for a while. We decided to bring it today, and hopefully at the end of this game you hear a cork. I'm not going to sit coyly on this news, dear listener. It happened. The legendary head coach, now here at Columbia, gets his first win. The marching band burst onto the field, the then the Lions. fans streamed onto the field. As Columbia wins tonight, 26-3. And with that, you can say goodbye to the streak. And the locker room, well, my ever-resourceful producer, Matt Collette, he got close. We're not allowed to record in the locker room, but we're not not allowed to record from the bushes right outside. They're singing Party Up In Here by DMX. It came out in 1999, a throwback for sure, but so is the Lions win when you think about it. I think it was just chaos in there. <laughs> it should be. It's good. That's, that's the best I've heard all day. That's good. It's, uh... yeah. Having a good time. Here's Coach Al Bagnoli in the post-game press conference. Yeah, I mean, obviously this was a, uh, a great win for for everybody. I'm, I'm really happy for our players and our alumni and our administrative people who've really backed us. And uh, I couldn't be happier. They've worked so hard and, uh, you know, we've had chances up to this and we couldn't capitalize on it. And I thought today, you know, especially in the first half, that was about as well as we're capable of playing. Uh, I think it's a huge win and it gets that 800-pound gorilla off the conversation board now and we'll start another streak of different kind. Victory at last. The team finally did what Coach Bagnoli has been talking about. Big, explosive plays, like a 32-yard touchdown dash by quarterback Skylar Mornenweg. The Columbia Spectator called it spicy. The coach who has had so much hype around him, vindicated. Hello and welcome to the season. I'm Ilya Meritz. If you asked anyone in the crowd at Kraft Field one year ago how likely it was that Columbia A would be celebrating a win and B it would be delivered by Al Bagnoli, formerly of the University of Pennsylvania, they probably would have said you're crazy. Al Bagnoli himself might have said it. Here's his longtime offensive line coach at both Penn and Columbia, John McLaughlin. Coach Bagnoli reached out to me very early, maybe when he first even thought about it, and just kind of 
started beating around the bush asking about, you know, what do you think? Can Columbia turn it around? And, and we both just kind of started agreeing that Columbia was a sleeping giant. For real, what would it take to wake the giant? McLaughlin wanted to find out. Professionally, you're always looking for new challenges and new opportunities for you to kind of put your stamp on something. And certainly, you know, as a competitor, this is a wonderful opportunity. All of this would never have happened if Columbia had not first hit absolute rock bottom. Get ready. The stage is about to get crowded. We're going to take you inside the two-year civil war over the future of the Lions, a conflict that ultimately claimed an athletic director, a head coach, and a quarterback, and pitted alum against alum, a conflict that is still very fresh. We offer you this story now in the spirit of homage to the podcast that put podcasting on the map. Like that story, the tale we're going to share is murky, it's complicated, and we think pretty effing fascinating. In corporate America, there's this term, shareholder rebellion. It's when someone who owns company stock disagrees with management's strategy, and they try to use their leverage to force a change of course. This has been tried at Apple, DuPont, Family Dollar, eBay, Yahoo. And something a lot like a shareholder rebellion also took place around the Columbia football team, starting in the fall of 2013. At the time, the head coach was a man named Pete Mangurian. He'd only been in the job one year. In archived videos, Mangurian comes across as measured, maybe even a little boring. We're looking for, for tough, smart players that love football. That's what we want. Tough, smart players that love football. And, and it's been my experience on whatever level that I've been in that you, you need to have those three qualities if you really want to be outstanding. That, that having height and having weight and having speed and having all that stuff doesn't mean anything. If you're not tough, you can't play this game. Mangurian arrives at Columbia with a good pedigree. He had position coaching jobs at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New England Patriots, and before that, he was at Cornell. In Mangurian's first year with the Lions, they win three games out of ten. And let's face it, for the Lions, that's not bad. But some of the team's biggest fans see the new coach making decisions they do not agree with. For one, he's putting freshmen on the field a lot more than is usual. Young men who may have talent, but not a lot of training. For another, Mangurian orders many players to lose weight. Here's Rich Forzani, a class of 1966 alum. And the one thing that ever happens in football is you don't lose weight. You always gain weight. And as a result, our guys just got pushed all over the field for the last two years. We met Forzani at a diner near his home in New Jersey. He's a retired software engineer and former Lions defensive end. And somehow it does not come as a surprise to learn that he's a big military history buff. World War I is his thing. In 2013, Coach Mangurian's second year on the job, the Lions lose every game. And Forzani starts looking at the numbers for Columbia Athletics. Why is the school losing so much? He realizes the Baby Blue has the worst record by far in the Ivy League across all sports. So statistically, it almost implies that there's been a deliberate decision on the part of the administration, and not this one, but every administration since 56, to just not care about sports and give it Spiro Agnew's favorite uh, saying, benign neglect. Actually, it was a different Nixon advisor, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who coined the phrase. This does not just upset Forzani, it offends him. Columbia spends good money on sports. It just didn't make any sense to me. It was absurd. 
who's existentialist. And I don't like things that don't make any sense. I learned later that Forzani was on campus during the 1968 protests where students occupied administration buildings. So he formed the Majority Coalition to try to persuade the occupiers to step down. Columbia has tended to be a very left-leaning, liberal institution, which didn't bother any of us that came here and played sports. But unfortunately, uh, there's a large group of people that are really, really into that kind of political spectrum and for whatever reason don't like sports, don't like athletes, uh, and they tend to swing a fair amount of weight on campus and always have. Forty-five years later, Forzani forms the Committee for Athletic Excellence at Columbia. And he quickly starts making alliances, like with blogger Jake Novak. Until that point, Novak's page has been mostly stats and analysis, but he corresponds with a lot of other fans, and in particular, what he hears from the parents of players disturbs Novak. Kids were getting hurt, and they were hungry. I mean, I I had parents telling me their kids were hungry. They were going through the whole summer not eating. And so Novak starts to publicly share his doubts about Coach Mangurian and the football program. Things started to get to the point where... I thought I was doing a favor for the program by not bringing this stuff out, and I realized it was just the opposite. It was just one of those kinds of things where it's like like when a cop goes rogue, and the first thing they ask you is, like, what outside organizations have you spoken to? And it's like, at, at some point, you think, like, you know, you guys aren't really interested in fixing this problem, are you? The shareholder rebels are now taking up positions directly opposed to the Columbia administration. That's not just President Lee Bollinger, but also some of the biggest supporters of athletics, including Robert Kraft, class of 63, owner of the New England Patriots, for whom Kraft Field is named— And Bill Campbell, captain of the only Columbia football team to win an Ivy title, chairman of the Columbia Board of Trustees. Again, Rich Forzani. I think Kraft and and Campbell, and I'm just thinking, so actually I'm really talking through my head here. I don't think those guys really wanted to see a big change. I think they were more dedicated towards some beautiful buildings with their incredibly well-spent and hard-earned money that they spent to put their names on, and I can appreciate and respect and admire that. I don't think they were worried about the tenure of a particular football coach. I have met the men on both sides of this conflict, and I will tell you the fierce urgency of Rich Forzani makes a strange contrast with the mischievous charm of Bill Campbell. You remember Bill Campbell, Steve Jobs' friend, successful businessman in Silicon Valley, If Farzani is a bracing handshake, Campbell is all playful shoulder punches. He deploys F-bombs like a GI handing out candy. Here's how he ended our interview. Thank you for the questions. Now I'm late for everything. (laughs) (laughs) When I ran into Bill Campbell later on the field, he threw open his arms and pulled me in for a bear hug. Bill Campbell is a loved person at Columbia for good reason. As this rebellion is taking shape, Campbell sees things differently from the rebels. He believes Coach Mangurian, who's in year two of a five-year contract, still deserves time. How long should a coach or a captain have to prove himself or, I suppose, herself? You can go out and take a look at the history around the country. If you don't see real significant progress by year four, and then you would expect that year five would be a big deal. Uh, good success. By the end of 2013, private disagreements are now spilling out into public view. Matt is here. Let's start right at the beginning. It starts with a blitz of letters to the Columbia Spectator. In the space of just one week, there's a letter from Jake Novak saying that both Coach Mangurian and the athletic director who led the search committee that picked him 
Diane Murphy, should go. Then there's a letter from Rich Forzani and two dozen football alums saying Mangurian must go. And the newspaper's own editorial board agrees. Diane Murphy should be fired. The first reason they give? Football. That year, the Lions were outscored by their opponents a whopping 354 to 66. Nothing happens. Then, right at the beginning of the next school year, September 2014, President Bollinger announces Diane Murphy, the head of athletics, will resign. Maybe the administration thinks it's throwing a bone to the critics, but the critics are not satisfied, not at all. Because for the second season in a row, the Lions are losing every game. Players are still on orders to lose weight. And these alumni shareholders, they may not have voting shares, but they have the power to make themselves heard. And inside the team, new problems are coming up. Big problems. Because just halfway through the season, the quarterback, Brett Nottingham, he quits. Coach Mangurian recruited Nottingham from Stanford, where he was the backup to Andrew Luck, who is now a very big deal quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. Kyle Parati, sports editor for The Spectator, says Nottingham never gave much explanation for quitting. He seemed often frustrated with the offensive line. He was getting sacked a lot. Uh, the receivers were dropping a lot of passes, and I think that frustration led to him making more mental errors. And you could see the breakdown uh, occur over the course of the first few games. Brett Nottingham, by the way, declined to comment. One bad news story is piling up on top of another, and the Lions keep losing games. So if you still support Coach Mangarian, which top Columbia officials do, and you want to buy him some more time to work on his players and his plan, you gotta do something. President Bollinger sends an email to the Columbia community saying he's commissioned a review of the football program by an outside specialist. Yay, consultants! <laughs> Here's what it says. Quote, it goes without saying that the results of this football season have been disappointing. I know there are some frustrated students, alumni, and fans who understandably feel we should hire a new coach and start yet again. He goes on to say, let's focus on recruiting a new athletic director while, quote, maintaining our course with the current coach, Coach Mangurian. Kristen Brundage from the student radio station WKCR is shocked by Bollinger's email. That he would one, choose to like highlight athletics, which is something that he never really seemed to talk about at all. And two, that he would do it for someone who was so clearly tanking. We asked Bill Campbell at what point he lost faith in Coach Mangarian. Well, it, 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 it really is hard to say. You know, when you're, you're like me, you're chair of the board, former football player, etc., you, you do your best to not stick your nose in, in somebody's business. So, you know, I would go and speak to the team when Pete wanted me to. This is Pete Mangurian when you're talking about. But Pete had had a strange idea. It's all been written. I don't think this is anything I'm telling you that hasn't been out there. He caused a dissonance between his upperclassmen and his, his lowerclassmen, and that the people that he recruited, he wanted to maintain their certain specialness, and he felt like the guys that were still there were probably... And I don't know in his mind if he ever called it cancerous, but they were uh, people that he felt were not that positive about the program. I didn't agree with what he was doing, Campbell says, but... I thought Pete was a good man and he had proven his success at Cornell. Okay, so privately, Campbell is experiencing some of the same doubts as the Rebels. But he has to balance that with his role as a leader of the whole university. Plus, he says it takes time to build a successful program, four or five years. 
But the way events are spinning now, Mangurian does not have four or five years. Whether he knows it or not, he has just weeks left with the Lions. And what finally seems to do him in is another letter. But this one isn't from Rich Forzani or his allies. It's from players. It's sent to President Bollinger and other leaders of the university. Kyle Parati from The Spectator gets his hands on it. I came upon the anonymous source uh, just kind of around campus, and, and he was like, you know, hey, guys, to me and the then sports editor, uh, Ellie Schultz, he's like, hey, guys, you know, there's this, there's a letter, and it contains these things. And then we were able to uh, reach out to a couple of players, get the letter, and, and all the allegations that were told to us were indeed on the letter. We've seen this document. It's missing a salutation and a sign-off and signatures and most of the things you would expect in a letter. It actually reads a lot more like a point-by-point indictment of the coach over the weight loss issue, for one, but it goes much further. It says Coach Mangurian is verbally abusive and that he's accused players of faking concussions and even ordered them back onto the field when they were concussed. It's devastating. The spec breaks the story on the letter, but Kyle has some doubts about it, too. I mean, it's it's hard anytime you see allegations like that to to fully believe it and to to think that there's not some degree of maybe hyperbole. And if there aren't enough twists, within hours, this mysterious letter is retracted. But it's too late. The damage is done. And the next day, Pete Mangurian hands in his notice. Columbia leadership is finally forced to make football a top priority. The argument that I get from teammates, classmates, is that why couldn't we have done this sooner? Uh, You were the chair of the board for 10 years. You've been a trustee for 12. Why is it that you couldn't kind of push this thing through? Bill Campbell says, look, I was the chairman of the board of trustees for all of Columbia University, not just football and not just athletics. There's a new campus in West Harlem, a capital campaign. Rebuilding the endowment after a recession. These are my priorities. And you kept worrying about football. You kept thinking, okay, I've got an athletic director that's going to do this. We should pay attention. But I didn't do enough there. And I think when the time came when it became urgent, you know, with the Mangurian situation, you know, Lee and I talked quite a bit. Lee is President Lee Bollinger. uh, He took the lead there and, and made stuff happen. But, you know, when you looked at the list of five most important things that we had to do eight or nine years ago, that probably fixing football wasn't one of the top five. We reached out to both Pete Mangurian and Diane Murphy. They both declined our interview requests. But Mangurian wrote us an email and said, quote, Ironically, this fascination with how hard it is and everyone's opinion about how to fix it is the problem. Just support the players and be fans. Let the coaches coach and pick the team. They are the experts, the only ones who know the whole story. And that's the way it should be. Here's the thing about a shareholder rebellion. Everyone has to sit in the same stadium, whether they're in the bleachers or the skybox. They're all rooting for the same team. And as poisonous as the last two years were, the departure of Diane Murphy and Pete Mangurian cleared the way to a new athletic director, Peter Pilling, and a new head coach, Al Bagnoli, and set the stage for a possible turnaround. And now that the Lions have won their first game under Coach Bagnoli, maybe everybody can just cheer and begin to forget those last two years. Remember Hunter Little, the defensive lineman who talks Achilles and glory? At halftime, with Columbia up 23 points, I check in with his mom, Julie Meisler, and she's giddy. Oh my 
gosh, this is fantastic. I mean, this is this is so exciting. There's never been in my five years of watching them, this has not happened. So it's like one of the parents said he was afraid he was going to wake up and realize that he had to go to the game. <laughs> and when the game is over, the players, their moms, their friends, everyone is milling around outside being Tasmanian devils of excitement. Freshman wide receiver Matt Munsell didn't even get to play, but he's surrounded by cheering friends, and for the first time, it seems, players want to talk. You know, the upperclassmen, they've just been, they've been so ready for this for so long, and especially this year, um, kind of the work that everyone's been putting in and the kind of the new perspective with the new coaching staff. They've, they've known that they're that close to breaking through, so it's just a great night. Um, for them, I'm, I'm so happy for all the upperclassmen. And Colin Richmond's tailgate party, it went even better than he ever could have expected. That was awesome. I haven't been that happy and probably since Cornell in 2012. Yeah, that was awesome. We, we sprayed champagne, we sprayed beers, we, it was awesome. <laughs> Next weekend... We're taking down Penn. Who's with me? Yeah! Bring me the Magnolia Bowl! <laughs> Don't worry, Colin's mom is here, and she's driving the car tonight. This win wasn't just a fluke either, says lifelong Lions fan Harry Enton. He's the stats guy for the website 538. They cover politics and sports. He says this year's team has improved on almost every front. A large reason that um, they've done better this year, though, is because the amount of points that they've given up per game. They've only given up 20.3 points per game. That places the team in 24th place in point differential among NCAA football teams. Last year, they were in 118th place, about as low as you can go. So they've just vastly improved on defense, um, which has in large part been able to help guide them to be competitive in most of the games and then not actually lose one of their games, actually win one of their games. Sunday. The next day is church with Reverend Al. The pews are full, a hundred guys looking loose and tired and very happy. Now you've demonstrated, you know, what it takes to win a game. Now the trick is, can we repeat the process? Okay, did you know the last time Columbia's won two games in a row? It's 2010. Got rid of one streak, we want to start another streak going in the other direction. And so that's the mentality you now got to take. Now you got to get a little bit greedy. <laughs> okay, if not good enough, now you want a game. Now you want to win multiple games. He's thinking ahead to the next game. The next thing I want to make sure, and I've talked to the whole team about it, because I mentioned it last night in the press conference. Okay, this isn't a, and they're going to make it a storyline of me, okay, Coach DeRazio, Coach McLaughlin, Coach Favish, <laughs> Coach Hahn, okay, Versus, okay, Penn. Me versus Penn. It has nothing to do with me or those coaches. The University of Pennsylvania, the school Columbia will play this Saturday, the team Al Bagnoli spent 23 years building. And come on, man, this has got to feel weird. It has nothing to do with me or those coaches, okay? We all work at Columbia. This is where I chose to be. It has nothing to do with me, it has nothing to do with the coaches. Okay, we're going to do our damnedest to do everything we can to win the game. Next time on the season, that's the storyline. Al Bagnoli versus Penn. This is not a vendetta. I, I'm the one who selected the coach there. Okay, most of those guys work for me. 
So I got nothing but respect for them. Hopefully they got nothing but respect for us. The opponent just happens to be Patrick. Okay, so I just want to make sure we're clear on that one as well. There's nothing to do with any other storyline than that. Whatever you say, Coach. The Season is produced by Matt Collette and mixed this week by Wayne Schulmeister. We're edited by Karen Frillman with Sean Dowditch and Charlie Herman. We had help this week from Simon Lehrer. Some of the music you've heard, including the theme to Serial, was recorded by the Columbia University Marching Band. You've also heard Jerry Recco announcing the end of the game. If you, like me, are feeling bizarrely interested in football when you never were before, well, welcome to the club. A club that includes Columbia's Dean of Academic Affairs, Catherine Utrakis. I shouldn't like football at all. Being a woman, being a feminist, but I love it. And I guess, and this is a not a good thing, I guess, it's just the... The teamwork, the precision of the teamwork, and the controlled, I don't want to say violence, but the controlled violence, in a sense. And that's another good thing, so you'll have to cut this out. Dean Utrakis, you said it brilliantly. I'm Ilya Meritz. Thank you for listening.